Tales from the Reliquary. Washington, D.C., June 17, 1972. A security guard on a routine midnight patrol at the Watergate Hotel complex notices someone has tampered with the doors of the Democratic National Committee offices. He immediately alerts the police, and not long after, five men are captured in the midst of planting wiretapping devices in arguably one of the most powerful political machines in the nation. It is quickly revealed that those apprehended are working at the behest of Richard Nixon's campaign to re-elect the president, the acronym of which is, I kid you not, CREEP. CREEP is hungry to get dirt on Nixon's Democratic rival, Senator George McGovern. Dirt that may have included the fact that McGovern's running mate, Missouri Senator Thomas Eagleton, received shock therapy for depression, now largely credited as the reason McGovern lost the race. A fact that also proves that the 1970s were a really terrible judgmental decade that just happened to have some really good music. Anyways, the break-in leads to a constitutional crisis in which Nixon's refusal to comply with a major congressional investigation into his actions results in impeachment proceedings and ultimately a shameful and embarrassing resignation. There have been extensive novels, movies, and podcasts on the Watergate affair, but since this is a Patreon episode, you already know that I don't have time to do that kind of research, so we're going to be focusing on the most relevant part of the sordid narrative, and arguably one of the most mysterious aspects of the Watergate timeline. It is still hotly debated whether or not Nixon ordered the wiretapping himself, though the most widely accepted version of events is that his campaign managers were behind the break-in, and Nixon just kind of covered it up to save face rather than take the blame. There's also plenty of reason to argue the contrary. Regardless, Tricky Dick, as the public soon coined the embattled president, was already a fan of recording private conversations, a strategy that ultimately doomed his presidency. When Nixon was inaugurated and then given a tour of the Oval Office, he found that his predecessor, Lyndon B. Johnson, was fond of using that newfangled 1960s recording technology to tape his meetings and telephone calls. Pretty standard and not exactly weird for one of the most powerful leaders on the planet to do, right? Nixon ran with the idea and had the Secret Service expand the audio system to a far less comfortable degree. The taping equipment was installed clandestinely inside the cabinet and Oval Office, as well as Nixon's suite at Camp David, with all of the tapes collected and stored beneath the White House. The recording system would be triggered automatically as soon as sound was detected. Notably, all of this came to light when investigations into Nixon's cover-up were well underway, and it helped turn the public against him, because once upon a time, Americans actually got really upset at being surveilled. While Nixon had installed the tapping system ostensibly to give him more control over his affairs, it also meant that every conversation he had within the Oval Office was now committed to replayable audio. Basically, evidence. 
Now, Nixon was almost comically inept at technology, so it may not have even dawned on him that this recording system could be used against him. And in fact, it was. Even though Nixon fought to prevent his recordings from being released to the inquiry, hours of damning evidence were eventually turned over, including a recording referred to as the smoking gun, in which Nixon basically said, I just want the intelligence agencies to make this problem go away. Before Watergate, journalists were not so often recognized as political watchdogs. But thanks to the efforts of reporters Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, the public came to know that Nixon had tried to stack the judicial and investigative branches of the U.S. government in his favor, in order to cover up his misdeeds. Woodward and Bernstein were assisted by a shadowy informant with the very family-friendly name of Deep Throat, who they met in secret in a parking garage. The journalists were able to bring the truth of the corruption to light and successfully inform the public. All of this before the age of readily accessible mass media. In fact, in the wake of the reporting, new journalism school majors in the U.S. skyrocketed to the highest the country had ever seen. It was revealed in 2005 that Deep Throat was the then deputy of the FBI, William Mark Felt. This over 33 years later, which just goes to show you that even to this day, the entire story behind Watergate has yet to be fully told. And that's what leads us to this mini lost treasure, if you could call it that. The infamous Tape 342, recorded three days after the break-in at Watergate. The tape is one of many recordings which were used to implicate Nixon during his impeachment proceedings, but 342 is special, not only for its early appearance on the Watergate scandal timeline, but its contents, or lack thereof. The tape begins with a conversation between Nixon and his chief of staff, Harry Robbins Halderman, and then it suddenly cuts out, giving way to 18 and a half minutes of mysterious silence before resuming again. When the tapes were handed over, investigators promptly seized upon the fact that this was, well, suspicious as f***. Nixon's secretary, Rosemary Woods, came forward with an explanation. While she had been writing up transcripts of the tapes that day, she received a telephone call and accidentally left her foot on the recorder pedal when she went to answer it, resulting in her recording over the audio. When reporters asked her to replicate the exact position you need to take in order for this to happen, Nixon's secretary blessed the public with what became known as the Rosemary Stance. Google it and you'll understand that nobody, absolutely not a soul whatsoever, believed Rosemary was telling the truth. Regardless, the investigation had already found their smoking gun, so the contents of those missing 18 and a half minutes were a relatively moot point in an already exhausted procedure. Their mysterious erasure just added more fuel to the fire of impeachment. But after Nixon resigned and the Watergate scandal seeped into the cultural consciousness, historians and conspiracy theorists alike couldn't help but speculate just what Nixon had said on that ill-fated recording. Mostly, they latched on to a single thesis. If Nixon had already been doomed by an entirely different incriminating tape that was still very much intact, then what could he have possibly said on tape 342 that was worse? Theories are varied, 
At the most mundane, some say that the conversation was more or less just as incriminating as the tape known as the smoke and gun, when Nixon insinuates that he's trying to seek assistance from the intelligence agencies to quash the scandal. One plausible idea is that on this tape, he just says something that's flat out incriminating. Historians point to the fact that this was three days after the failed wiretap at the DNC. When Nixon found out about the Watergate break-in, he initially assumed it would all be forgotten within days, sucked up by all the news surrounding bell-bottom jeans or disco or what have you. But three days in, he may have expressed some serious concerns to his chief of staff while simultaneously letting the cat out of the bag. The more outlandish theories are expectedly varied. Some say that Tape 342's content may have included Nixon ranting about high-profile Jewish Democratic donors, and of course, the only thing worse than a president trying to overuse his authority to cover up his crimes is a president who is anti-Semitic. Other theories abound, that Nixon may have suggested assassinating those who could tarnish his reputation, or even bribing the Watergate burglars so they wouldn't testify. If such a recording made its way into the public, then it's likely Nixon may have faced jail time instead of just being pardoned. Wilder leanings have Nixon plotting a war with the Soviet Union or even disclosing the truth about aliens, which would have been a pretty odd thing to do in the middle of a political scandal, but hey, I'm not Richard Nixon. Popular science fiction dramas will often use the missing 18 and a half minutes as plot points, with Richard Nixon often conspiring with time travelers or other sinister forces. The more plausible theory is that Nixon simply panicked and began erasing capes at will, but soon realized the futility of combing through 2,000 hours of recorded audio, which he would have had to erase in real time, as they didn't have audacity or final cut in the 1970s. Tape 342 may very well have just been the first tape to allude to the Watergate break-in, hence why Nixon chose it first. Analysis shows that the re-recording includes repeated stops, then records again, as if someone was meddling with the tape, and we all remember how Nixon was rather clumsy when it came to technology. Both professional audio experts and enthusiasts have taken various attempts to try and extract some coherent audio from the conversation, but decades-old recording tape isn't the most forgiving medium. One plausible method is extracting the extremely distorted audio samples written onto the tape and then trying to match the garbled sounds to Nixon's known speech patterns. But part of the problem is that the National Archives, which holds jurisdiction over the tapes, refuses to let anybody test on the original recording. Which makes sense. Then again, what are they trying to hide? Nixon and Halderman are on record stating they had no recollection of what they'd said during those missing minutes. And as much as I hate to say it, which might be my own bias, they might not have exactly been fibbing. There were hundreds upon hundreds of recordings of conversations during what was no doubt an extremely tense and stressful time for the president's cabinet. Now, I'm not pitying them. I'm just saying I understand why they might not have remembered. To their dying days, both Halderman and Nixon maintained their innocence, or rather their silence, concerning tape 342. Today... Tape 342 is contained in a secure, climate-controlled vault inside the National Archives. The Archives' official directive is to make sure the tape remains untampered until a verified form of technology is developed that can extract the audio from the oblivion of erasure. Until then, Tape 342 remains a living testament and a promise. No matter how long it takes, the truth will always come out, and justice is sure to follow.